You're listening to a Flawless Noises Media Network production. Welcome to Gay Side Stories, where the gay shit goes. I am your host, Curtis. I go about your life on all social media. Thank you so much for joining me for another week. There are so many podcasts out there that you can listen to and you choose to listen to this one. And I am eternally grateful Speaking of, if you want to support this podcast and its home network, a.k.a. Flawless Noises Media Network, you can do so in two ways. One, go to patreon.com slash flawless noises and sign up in exchange for a little bit of money. You will be getting a lot of bonus content from myself and other hosts on Flawless Noises. You can also purchase some merchandise to help support this show. Go to flawlessnoises.com store, pick up a shirt or a tote. And now we're going to get the show started. Time to bust this podcast cherry with a brand new guest never before been on a podcast and what better place to make your debut than here in these gay side streets what better place i have jeff he goes by jeff taylor like i guess in these regular streets or whatever but on the twitter on the bird yep that's where you can find me yes so jeff taylor mr retrograde himself (laughs) on the show what are your hyphenates like what do you go by are you like singer songwriter producer bad bitch <laughs> <laughs> uh well yes um i i think if i had if i were saying it in conversation i would probably just say singer songwriter because the producer that really just came out of necessity because i'm poor and could not afford to pay somebody else to do so, it so let me stop you right there. Did you do the producing? Yes, I. I okay, then. Did. So you're a producer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nobody cares how you got there. We, listen, claim your things, okay? You know, I'm gonna work on that. Claim your things. Yes, I am a singer, songwriter, producer, um, artist. Badass Pokemon that don't need no trainer. <laughs> I'm also a, a pretty decent Pokemon trainer, but that's for a different episode. Talk your shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk your shit. I'm here for it. Okay, so speaking of talking shit, we're going to keep the focus of the conversation on you, actually. And we're going to do our first segment. That is the Queer Query. Question. So I want to start off by talking about your singing and your songwriting and your producing out of necessity, AKA just regular ass producing, you released an EP. What was it a year and a half ago? It's been, can you believe it's been almost two years? It'll be two years in November. Wow. Time flies, time flies. So yes, you released an EP called retrograde. Which, yes. first and foremost, congratulations on that. Thank you. Quite Thank a milestone. You so and you did the thing. So I had an extremely late pass because that's that's just what I do. I don't know. I just <laughs> I just have a delay <laughs> to get, with getting into things. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I'll bookmark it at the time so I don't forget. But it takes me so long to circle back to it. But I actually did talk <laughs> about 
your EP on an earlier episode. Now, don't ask me what yes. episode that was because yes. I forgot. I remember that. Actually, no, I talked about it twice because I talked about it when I first listened to it because um, I mentioned one of the songs on here, Can You Imagine? Mm -hmm. And then the second time I talked about it was the when I was recapping my trip to Oakland and San Francisco because I was with my brother from another mother, Naj. Yes, and Naj. It came on during his auntie tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Not to say that your music is auntie music, but Naj listened to auntie music. Like, <laughs> I have no problem with that. You know, so, you know what Naj's mix is? He gonna cuss my ass out. <laughs> If you know me, you know that I am a grandpa, so an auntie is probably like a step down in youth for me. That's fair, but I don't know. I, your music didn't give me auntie, but Naj's <laughs> music is like patchouli auntie, you know? Like, sometimes you'll get pure auntie, sometimes you'll get lifted auntie, you know, sometimes you'll get vibey auntie. You know, but we were jamming. So your song came on and we both in the car, just, I don't know where we were going. Started singing along, everything. So talk a little bit about the EP. How did it come together? And what inspired you to write the songs that you wrote? Um, It's really interesting to, to really describe the process. Um, and first of all, I really just want to say thank you for your support because I, I'm, you know, I know you say that you relate to it, but I ain't nobody. Um, what a blur. There, there was a period around um, like mid 2015 where I had decided I want to like really try to record music because I've been musical like pretty much all my life. Um, and I always had a thought in the back of my head that I really wanted to do music and make music, but I really just sort of pushed it to the side because I didn't think it was really that viable for me as a career. But around 2015, I was uh, having a conversation with, uh, with my best friend and she really just pushed me to commit to doing it, even if it was just something that only the two of us ever heard just commit to doing it. So um, she ended up passing away a few months after that. And so that kind of, it, it really sent me like deep in depression. And that is really where this music came from. Um, I had, I ended up having a, a few life changes. I moved from my hometown to where I live now, Nashville. Uh, started a doctorate program in computer science. And to be honest with you, I hated it. So I really was just getting up and throwing myself into something that I, I wasn't really committed to all the time. And that really drove me to therapy, which is how I started outlining what I wanted to write music about. So that's you know, when you listen to songs like Already Lost and can't, even Can You Imagine and Have It, like those are songs that were born out of my therapy sessions of me going and really talking and having the freedom to express, I am not happy and this is what I'm feeling at this moment. So that that's really how that, uh, how the EP uh, sort of started to take shape. You know what? I, I like 
art that you can kind of connect with in that way. It's a fascinating story. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. Whatever was going to happen was going to happen anyway. So now, you know, I just try to use my experiences to to try to share through music things that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully it has touched other people. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of uh, where I landed as an artist because I'd, believe me, I tried initially to just make some stuff that I thought would sound good on the radio, but it I knew that it wasn't me. So I just had to get to a point where I was comfortable as an artist making music that sounded like it was coming from my story, basically. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you. I like that. So do you have any wisdom for other creatives that may be in similar positions or are just looking to figure out how to start? Um, I do, but I think my most important I think my most important piece of advice is it's not really something that I can give you steps for. It really is just that you have got to know who you are as an artist. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that that probably sounds so cliche, but it really does make everything super easy once you once you know who you are, because you give up that that feeling that you have to sound like somebody else or or you might be inspired by this person so i would just say take some time uh, to figure out who you are as an artist as a singer especially um as a writer just whatever you end up trying to do just really try to know yourself and then i think just on a practical level really just take some time and research everything that it takes to do what you want to do because there are so many things about this that I learned and really the hard way (laughs) because, you know, like we were saying earlier, I produced all of the music on my EP, but that was because I didn't make any connections with other producers um, to, to see how uh, collaborative it could be. So um, I would just say, try to, to learn a few different things um, I learned how to record and engineer and mix and do all of that throughout this process. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's a great skill to have, but if I could do that process again, I probably would have taken a little bit of the load off of myself. But, but I think that's, that's what I would say. Just know who you are and then take a little time to do some research on what it takes to actually produce what what you're looking to produce. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, last question. Do you have a dream collaboration? Uh, I probably have about 15. Um, I think... Okay, top three. <laughs> um, my number one is probably my favorite artist at the moment. Um, her name's Emily King, if you're not familiar with her. Um, I absolutely adore her voice and I think she's probably like one of my biggest influences as a writer um so Emily King would probably be number one number two is I love this band Johnny Swim I love them 
Oh, I am obsessed with that. I love Johnny Swim. Listen, that man can sing. I just. Oh, he can sing. I mean, don't get me wrong. The woman can sing, too. They're both so beautiful and so talented and just so perfect in every way. And I want to be their third member. But yeah, the the woman, that's uh, that's Donna Summer's. Yes, she's daughter, Donna right? Summer's okay. daughter. Making yes. sure I had the right icon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. She looks exactly like her. She does look like her. Which girl, shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I adore them. Uh Emily King, Johnny Swim, and then I think third I would probably say Coldplay. I'm a I'm a huge Coldplay fan. So I would probably I would love to do like a writing collaboration with them. Mm, okay. It's a nice little mix. And mm. you know what? Shout out to me. Cause I knew everybody that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that is usually not the, I usually, I don't know what the youth be talking about. <laughs> do well, not know. I, I don't know if that's, if that's what the youth would say, but, well, but I think, if if you know those three, then you've got good taste. All right. You know what? One time for the one time for good taste. Here. We're going to take a quick break so that you can hear from our sponsors. And we'll be back. Thank you for supporting the Flawless Noises Media Network. You can visit FlawlessNoises.com for more information on our other wonderful shows. You can also connect with us on social media. Search for at Flawless Noises on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to FlawlessNoises.com store if you're interested in purchasing some merchandise. And if you really love us and would like some bonus content, subscribe to our Patreon. With $5 and $10 subscription levels, you're bound to hear something you like. Go to Patreon.com slash FlawlessNoises for more details. We thank you for taking the time to listen to our shows and supporting your favorite hosts. Please feel free to share with your friends, family, co-workers, and more. Flawless Noises Media Network, get to know our sound. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. And Jeff and I, we are back from Zibrick. So now we're going to get into the main topic. This week is a article week. You know how I love to have my article episodes because it's just fun. I like seeing what these guys usually have to write. And I like being able to talk about them with someone in a more practical way. Because sometimes these articles, you just like, what planet do you live on? <laughs> and honestly, reading this one, I, I asked myself that a few times. I'm like, what planet does this dude live on? <laughs> <laughs> so this was in the Huffington Post or on HuffPost.com because, you know, they're trying to be hip. They've shortened it to HuffPost. Like, okay. Ten reasons why gay dating is really hard. The term gay dating is odd to me, but I I get the phrasing, but I don't know. It's just a weird term, like dating while gay, (laughs) dating men, honestly, but gay dating, you know, it's like gay marriage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know. That's weird. But anyway, 
So first and foremost, before we get into the actual content of the article, the author admits in the beginning that he longs for love and that his analyzation is based on his personal history. So I took that to mean that you have to take everything that he wrote with a grain of salt. And I really feel like that's like a that's a key part of yes. reading this. C- correct. The author says things are beyond a lot. Like we are beyond sexual. We are beyond too sexual. Our insecurity is beyond high. Like it was just very strange to me. Like you can tell that's how he speaks in his everyday life, I guess. But (laughs) it's weird to me to write that way. And I was kind of being shady (laughs) before we started (laughs) recording. Because I'm like, okay, did I learn incorrectly? Because... When I was in school and they were teaching us how to write, we weren't allowed to to use the same phrasing throughout whatever we were yeah. writing. Like yeah. you had to find different ways to say what you were trying to say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess, you know, I guess you don't have to do that at, at the Huffington Post. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the article starts off basically saying dating is difficult in general, but gay dating, quote unquote, is even harder our walls are high our hearts are guarded and we're still figuring figuring out exactly what we're looking for because for many of us we didn't see what we're trying to create growing up so that's how he prefaced the article reason number one of the 10 reasons why gay dating is really hard we're all sex monsters all right so we just go mm, okay just so (laughs) just to paraphrase his point he's saying that we're all men our libidos run high you know that cliche thing that we always hear we're all constantly horny and we're scientifically driven due to testosterone which i was like did you Mm. google this but anyway (laughs) Our culture is obsessed with imagery and sex and it's impossible to escape thoughts of sex. And mm-hmm. there's a good chance that whatever you're doing somehow, some way is going to end up being about sex. You're going to be thinking about sex. You're breathing sex. OK. And you're walking sex. You're talking sex. Um, I don't know about this. And so then he ends it with, again, saying, well, the testosterone levels are doubled in a gay dating, quote unquote, situation. So all of this leads to why we're all sex monsters. And my first thought when I read through this was that this is a cop out. This read to me not on the same level, not the same severity, but it really read to me. Boys will be boys. Yeah, for sure. And. This is an instance where I get why he's calling it out, but I I don't know if this is a reason why dating is hard because not every man is a sex monster. Maybe the men that you've come across, maybe the men that you attract, because the way that you're writing this article, I have a pretty good idea of the kind of gay that the author is. I don't know if you do, Jeff, but I'm like, okay, so I I see what we're dealing with here. (laughs) But I thought that this was a a strange way to start this. And it's a weird generalization to make on a basis of why dating is hard. Like, yes, we know that men are 
oversexual. We know that that the gay community is is hypersexualized to a, a fault. But there's plenty of gays out here that are not obsessed with sex or anything like this. Like, I don't live my life like this. Like, do I think about sex at various points of the day? Sure. Am I like some raging hormone monster that can't think straight unless, you know, my dick is rubbing against the wall as I walk? No, <laughs> like I'm I'm not a sex zombie. And most of the men that I've come across are not sex zombies yeah so i don't know it just it was a it felt like a cop-out now if this had read more so there's a little bit too much emphasis on sex in our community i agree 100 percent. but yeah i mean i i think i agree with that and the way that i've kind of had this conversation in the past is that it's I think it's more of a perception of how society perceives gay men Mm -hmm. than what's actually happening. I think that's a a kind of a false narrative that is, is really spread about us and not coming directly from us because about us, but not from us. Right. And I'm not really sure where it came from. I, I think it probably is. It's probably at the end of the day attached to what the Bible says about that's about gay sex being unnatural and you know just whatever people will will say. But I think it's something that's that's kind of tied to us unfairly. I would, yeah, I have to agree with that. And I think that we need more conversations like this, challenging this assumption that the whole of the gay community is obsessed with sex. Because again, this comes across as you're a certain type of gay. So you're probably conventionally attractive um, depending on your race and ethnicity, because that can vary quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably thin and you probably are you know that kind of cliche gay that we've seen in movies that everywhere they go they end up making out with some guy you know like you're you're ricky from noah's ark everywhere you go you can't help but (sighs) fall into some sex and so now that you've decided that that's vapid and you want love you want to actually be held at night you're like, well, everybody's obsessed with sex. And it's like, okay, well, is that the case? Or is that the life and circle that you've curated from your own actions? And, you know, one thing that I have come to realize, I think a lot of gay men buy into that Mm -hmm. idea that, like you said, we're all sex monsters. And a lot of those men start to feel like they're better than the next person because their body count is low. And it, (laughs) it's just, it gets really frustrating when you try to have these conversations because it doesn't, it doesn't mean just because somebody likes to have sex a lot, it doesn't mean that it's harder to date them. You just have to know what, 
you are or are not looking for. I mean, if you are looking for somebody who's going to be monogamous, then that's your set boundary. It, it doesn't make you a more desirable mate because that's what you want. You know what this really reminds me of trying to turn a hoe into a housewife or I guess a house husband in this instance. <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, I could be wrong. Like I'm not all knowing uh, anything like that, but the vibe that this gives me is I have tried to take a sexy guy that I met and that I enjoyed having sex with and make him a boyfriend when that was never mm -hmm. going, that was never in the cards to begin with. And now I'm mad and I'm jaded and I feel like every guy is like that guy or that, that other guy, those guys, however many, however many times this happened. I can definitely see that. Yeah. So he goes on to say in the second point, sex is easy again, that I feel like there's a privilege here. I don't know which one exactly. I don't even know if there's a term for it, but yeah, the assumption that sex is just flat out easy to get for men, for gay men like this, this almost reads as it's from a heterosexual gaze. You know what I mean? Like just how you were saying before that our own community kind of buys into the idea that everybody's just hypersexual and there's no way around it. There's nothing you can do. You might as well just bend the fuck over and kiss your walls goodbye type thing. You know, I, I think that there is a point here to be made, but I'm not sure that it was I don't made. really think that he made it yet <laughs> <laughs> because I, I do think a lot of people, not necessarily just men, a lot of people do gravitate more towards the sexual side of relationships to avoid dealing with, or you know, I, I don't want to say dealing with, but, but engaging in those emotional connections. But I, I, I wouldn't say that that's a problem with dating as a gay person. I think that's just a problem in general. Right. So basically the points that he was making is that dating app culture, your grinders, your growlers, your jacks, and all mm -hmm. those girls make sex easy. Gay bars, everyone in the room is a possible partner in some way. Again, that's that, that weird white gay thing where they literally will swap spit with someone <laughs> at every venue that they go to. And that's not true. Not everybody in the room is going to be compatible with you. Right. Like, you're not even going to be compatible with everybody in the room. <laughs> this, it, I don't know. It comes across as weird. Like, you're trying to say that obsession with sex is a problem with dating in the gay community, but it feels like the only one that's obsessed with sex in the situation is you. Like, I'm I definitely getting so. some some sexual obsession yeah. from this. But anyway, he's saying that part of coming out is feeling sexually liberated. And we often mistake the ease and casualness of the sex we can and do have as something other than what it really is. And we're looking to fill voids within ourselves with physical pleasure, but often it doesn't lead to the substance we crave. So I do agree with the mistaking mm -hmm. the ease of sex with 
actually having some type of meaning. And I do agree that there's a lot of gays out there looking to fill voids by having their voids filled. But I see what you did there. Mm, stay with me. I can say for a, I'm gonna say for a fact, but linking sexual liberation with the coming out process, I feel like is very faulty because everyone's coming out is different. It has different mm-hmm. effects, and. A lot of us coming out, it has literally nothing to do with the actual act of sex. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're coming out for the liberation of your spirit, n- not necessarily for your sex drive. And again, it's this weird thing. I don't know how to place it, but the author with his points is painting a picture. So you can tell that he was one of the gays when it's oftentimes, you know, white gays who have this privilege, but he's coming from a place of sexuality around me was not a big deal. And my coming out was just so that I could freely go to the club and fuck without trying to hide it. You know what I'm saying? Whereas a lot of us and, I would venture to say probably a lot more of us that are of color, our coming out is for survival, is for our mental health, is for our general happiness. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who came out of the closet strictly so that they could fuck. <laughs> like, we was fucking when, while we were in the closet. We were fucking in the closet. <laughs> like, I, you know, I was going to say, I think there's a lot more people for whom the reverse is true. There are people who've been having sex with men their whole lives and don't come out until they're in their forties or fifties. If ever. Exactly. Some of them take fucking men to the grave. So I thought that that was an odd thing to, to say. Not very broad thinking. I agree with the, the idea but I think it really, it really only works if you're, your coming out phase lines up with your your Sexual growth into adult evolution. No, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Okay, number three. We say we want one thing, but really want another. So that part I agree with. But let's get into the points that <laughs> he made. So he said that we have to find out what we want on our own because we don't grow up in a predominantly gay world. Normal, quote unquote, expectations of our straight counterparts are less expected. We flip and we flop between craving the single life and looking for the love of our lives. Now, we don't have a lot of examples as far as love and relationships go. Yes, I agree with that. But. I wish that he had moved this point into the part uh, or or into the line of thinking of at what point do we stop depending on that crutch and we start defining for ourselves? Like I always hear, well, we don't have examples. So we, we don't know how to be in relationships because we don't have examples. We don't know how to be in relationships because we don't have examples. Okay. So at what point do we sit up and we say self and self says yes. And we say, what do we want? How do we want to be loved? What, what do we, how do we want to feel? Like I get 
the example uh, and all of that. But number one, I think is I'm gonna say I don't want to say I think it's problematic, but I I don't necessarily agree with the idea of needing or wanting an example of love for yourself because far too often people take that example and they make it law and then they have hell in their life trying to find Mm -hmm. something to fit that one specific example that they had growing up Mm -hmm. that they've made into a law and so now you can't find that because you're not even the type of person that's like either person in this relationship that you're idolizing. And instead of saying, okay, that didn't work. Now let me find out what I want for myself or even just starting with that. Like, I don't know why we don't start with that. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I, (laughs) I mean, that's my, that's my opinion on it. I think if you know what your expectations are for yourself and, and, how you interact with people, then it becomes a lot easier to connect with somebody. I mean, obviously it doesn't become easier to find that person, but it makes the process of being in a relationship easier. Yeah, I can see that. I just wonder about this, this mindset because the first thing that pops into my head is, so do we not have enough imagination and self-awareness to say, you know what? No, I didn't have an example of love, but no, I I absolutely don't think we have enough of that, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like, okay, but I know how I want to be treated. I know what I will and what I won't put up with. I don't know. How many of us know that? (laughs) I've, I have even if you start there and say, you know what, I don't know versus, yeah, well, yeah. I didn't have an example, so I'm just going to do fuck shit until somebody hem me up. You know what I mean? Like, I my, get part I, of life I, is I, trial I, and, and error, but yeah, to it say of doing a lot of things that I now look back on and think. I never in my life thought I would ever do that. I never thought I would like pay somebody else's bills. Ooh, come on, automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how I feel about saying that this is a a problem with dating in the gay community is that we don't have examples of healthy relationships because again it's number one i would say maybe it depends on on where you are as far as your actual journey i don't want to say like your age because we all you know some of us don't come out until we're in our 40s and 50s and that is different process than someone who's been out since they were 20 or whatever and now they're in their 50s like those are two different speeds in my experience Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. As gay men, I I want us to to get into this place where we stop looking to our straight counterparts. But I guess this mindset is so inherently baked into the fabric of us as people that until we have more examples of gay relationships people are going to keep looking towards the 
heterosexual ones, no matter how problematic it is, no matter how much we don't have in common with them. Like some aspects of relationships, of course, are pretty universal and pretty standard. But a lot of the times it's not just the basic stuff like respect me, treat me nice, you know, talk to me good, talk to me nice. Mm -hmm. It's respectability politics it's identity politics it's gender politics gender politics when there's only one gender in in the situation a lot of the really basic the fundamentals of the relationship are are just not the same i mean no there are just a lot of things that that many of us go through as gay men that straight couples don't have to deal with so they're they're they just don't come up yep and vice versa right then you find yourself trying to deal with stuff that you don't need to be dealing with because you're not in a straight relationship (laughs) (laughs) you know like then you start talking to them the the who pays for what topic starts going left on twitter you know what i'm saying like it's all (laughs) interconnected because we're we're always looking towards our straight counterparts for examples and it's like at some point Mm -hmm. we as a community are going to have to stop looking that way and start creating our own so that we can start to build that history so that the next generation can look to us as the examples that we didn't have and we you know we're not even touching on the fact that our generation and then you know maybe even the generation before us uh, maybe not i'm I'm a gay of a certain (laughs) age but you know we're not even touching on the sad fact that a lot of our generation doesn't have those examples because we lost so much of the previous generation that is a big fact you know what i mean so it's like again we have to do the icky work of defining it for ourselves because well we're trying to figure it out but how many of us are watching polls like we're we're reliving the actual history that a lot of us we when we were younger we weren't cognizant of what was going on to a real degree no no <laughs> but looking back i can say okay there's not nearly as many gays that are 20 to 30 years older than me in the world that should be because they're not here. Right. You know? So it's like, we have to know that history and we have to be the ones to say, you know what? It's not all that we just flat out don't have examples. We don't have a lot of our elders. Like they are just physically not here. Mm -hmm. So we have to stand up and we have to do that work. But in my experience, gay men are the least likely to want to work on themselves. I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but I would put straight men ahead of us. Um, I meant just in within the LGBT community. Oh well, absolutely. I don't even know. Straight men are a whole different breed. That's a whole <laughs> different conversation. Because what? Listen, they are the weakest link. No matter how much they fight about it. <laughs> It's true, y'all. I'm sorry, but it's true. Okay. Next point. We have very deep scars, and we know that to be true. We've talked about that a little bit. And if you've been a longtime listener of this show, you know that I have plenty of scars. I am definitely in a position where it seems like Wolverine sliced my ass up. I got scars. We all got, Effie, we all got pain. Mm-hmm. All right. 
So as gay men, we grow up hiding parts of ourselves because gay still is considered different and in a lot of spaces, bad and dangerous. We feel like we have to hide a part of ourselves every day for many formative years, which means we are neglecting other parts of ourselves that should be receiving precious energy. I do agree with that. We often confuse coming out as dealing with our issues when in fact, it is just the beginning of dealing with what our issues really are. This is where he started to lose me. <laughs> Cause I don't know. I don't know any. He's using your favorite word. Mm. I don't know any LGBT persons of color that were like, yeah, when I came out, all of my problems were solved. Like usually coming out. I don't out think is, I know a single one. <laughs> I, I don't. I was trying to be generous, but I don't know a single one. Most of us, our coming out was a result of trauma and the process itself was traumatic. And we weren't thinking, okay, now all of my problems are solved because I came out. How many stories do we see of little black boys, little Latino boys, whatever the case may be that come out mm -hmm. and now they homeless, mm -hmm. you know, like that coming out is not the solvent for any problems from what I know. So again, this reads a certain way. And even if your family is supportive, there's there's still the rest of the world. Yeah. Hell, if you black, there's still the rest of your own community. Uh, right. I mean, there's there's so many other steps yeah. and and just pockets of uh, spheres of influence that that affect how we grow up and how we move through society. Come on, spheres of influence. I like that. <laughs> Come on, edu the education jumped out. <laughs> <laughs> it goes on to say it's hard to be vulnerable with someone else when so many of us are uncomfortable being vulnerable to ourselves. Again, I agree with that. Definitely agree with that. The less honest we are with ourselves, the more guarded we become and the more we keep our walls up, I am still in agreement. Our insecurity is high from all the shame we felt growing up, and it feels too real when we are hurt again in the dating process. Um, points were made, but yeah. as we already alluded to, not everything in the life of a gay man is connected or revolves around the coming out process. The other thing um, that kind of stuck out to me on this point, I don't want to judge, but I kind of feel like we're at a superficial level to be talking about deep scars. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's just the vibe that I get from the author where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, coming out was we think that that's the end of our problems and it's just the beginning. And it's like, OK, but who has that luxury to th even think that? Yeah, not us. I mean, that's why a lot of us don't do it. A lot of us, we can't do it because it's going to create problems. It's not even the fact that it is a gateway to more problems because, you know, it's your life is different. A lot of us can't come out for our own safety so that we have a roof over our heads so that we can finish school because our parents are, are helping pay for something. And we're scared that if we come out, then they're going to cut us off and we're not going to be able to finish school. 
mm-hmm. like it's 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 deeper than what we are being presented but i on that point i really think that that is a that's an issue for men and i i mean i guess it does make dating as a gay person difficult because there's two of us but i mean i don't i don't see that many heterosexual couples working through this issue together i I just see a lot of men not being vulnerable and women dealing with it right so i don't i don't think that's again i don't think this is something that's specific to us and you know what you actually hit on the point that i was going towards and that's that this is more so about how boys are raised to men and how we're conditioned it has more so to do with that, I think, than being gay. It has because it's not so just gay men that. that are unable to be vulnerable, because we're not taught to be vulnerable as children, on average. We're not taught to be vulnerable and open with our emotions. We're not taught to be kind to other people. Nope. Unless we want something from them, <laughs> we're taught <laughs> manip- we're taught manipulation <laughs> tactics. <laughs> to get what we want you know which is why so many little boys grow up to be men who feel like the world owes them something but i think that this is more so a universal problem in how boys and men are how we're raised we're not raised to be vulnerable and yes a lot of it a byproduct of that is that it makes dating as a gay man hard. But hell, like you said, it's just as hard for every other gender identity out there to date men because men are trash because <laughs> we're raised to be trash. Like, I hate to say it like that, but it's kind of true. Like, we're not raised to have emotional intelligence and we often learn it at the expense of the next person. Mm-hmm. But then we're also not taught to deal with disappointment and rejection so we get hurt once and then it's fuck everybody for life and that's on both sides of the fence because we all have seen the examples and we know some gays that were hurt when they were younger and they decide to become for lack of a better term a sex fiend until they're in their (laughs) 50s because it's just you know i'm saying like how many 45 year old men they're like i just want sex i just want sex and you're just like okay i mean that's cool then you start talking to them and it's like, okay, you just want sex because you've been hurt. You still holding on to that hurt from 20 years ago. And, and you know, I, I think um, at least in my experience, a lot of the conversation in the queer community about taking on your issues and dealing with those traumas, those have been really spearheaded by black gay men. Mm. I've seen a lot of of black gay men really just being open about going to therapy and mm-hmm. trying to confront those uh, those inner child issues that we've all had to face. So I I think that if we're you know, I don't want to to I don't want to say that one community is doing better than the others, but if we're talking about like the the gay male dating scene, I I have seen a lot more black men putting that effort um, of, of really trying to 
to make it trying to make themselves better not necessarily for dating but just to be happier in general and then you know just that the dating aspect of it just kind of comes naturally yeah i i can agree with that that there's definitely starting to be a shift you know the millennials i guess we're starting to get into therapy and being more open about it. i won't say starting to get into it but being more open about it encouraging our brethren to get into therapy. So I agree with that. But, you know, if we all got pain. <laughs> <laughs> the next point is we go through a second adolescence. We held back from being authentically ourselves for most of our adolescence and early adulthood. Again, this is making a lot of assumptions, but we get a chance to do it all over when we come out. When we partake in all of these new things, we're at an age where we have disposable income. Mm, the privilege jumped out because who, who doesn't have <laughs> disposable income? This gay right here. OK, <laughs> my income is very finite and it's on the low end. All right. No, sure. me. <laughs> and it's quite unfortunate. OK, but it is what it is. But yeah, disposable income. We aren't being monitored by parents, and it usually happens in a big city where excess is welcomed. It's easy to get sucked in all of this, but when it, when is enough enough? Too many men get sucked into this world and never come out. It's why it's known as the Peter Pan syndrome unofficially. I don't know if I've ever heard of the Peter Pan syndrome being described this way. I don't think I've ever heard it being described in terms of coming out, but I I definitely think that this is this is somebody's story. The way that this this part of the article is written, this, this is a testimony. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, it is very specific. I mean, I think there are certain aspects of it that that apply to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, the, the big city, I, that's, that's, de- that, that was the first thing that kind of jumped out to me. That's <laughs> like, well, there, there are gays everywhere that are going through this exact same thing. I mean, right. a lot of us do kind of get out from our, under our parents' wings and have a lot more freedom and are able to do more with our lives but i'm i don't think that that is what is making the dating aspect of it difficult now i do i think what makes it difficult is that and i i think you mentioned something about this earlier there's different speeds to it so if you know me if i were dating somebody who was just coming to terms with his sexuality in the past six months or so, I, I'm not going to lie. I might get a little bit frustrated with that because that's a process that I've already been through. And it's funny because when I was reading this, I was thinking about a storyline from, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Queer as Folk, but it's, it's kind of like a gay rite of passage. The American one. (laughs) Yes. The American. I've seen the American one. Yes. Hot um, mess. So, <laughs> so there's a, 
There's a part of the storyline in maybe season four or five with Drew and Emmett. Um, and if you've never seen the show, Emmett is more of like a, a, flam- a flamboyant gay man. Drew is a former football player for their version of the NFL. And they ended up breaking up because Drew was really going through this phase of having just come out and trying to figure himself out and identify what what being gay meant for him. So I think it's I I think that's what the the issue is is trying to match up that compatibility with somebody who has taken that time to think about okay I know who I am now what does this mean for the way that I'm going to interact with other people and not so much you know I'm I'm out in the big city now and I can spend all of my money now I am now all of my relationships are ruined it, yes it really f- feels like they boiled this second adolescence down to a specific story, maybe even a group of stories because it was a group of friends that all met in the big city and they all had the same story of growing up in a small town, being isolated and having to hide their sexuality or, you know, not being able to hide their sexuality and going through whatever they went through. And then they go to the big city and it's like, Oh my God, all this wonderment and Coke and Dick and so many (laughs) things going on. And it's like an erasure of everybody else's stories. Like even in the beginning, like you said, with the timing, not everybody has the, story of only having to be in the closet while they were a teenager and a young adult. Like we said Mm -hmm. earlier, there's men that for whatever reason is their own, it's their stories to tell, but they don't come out until they're in their forties. They have Mm -hmm. wives that they have to divorce. Like there's a, a whole lot that goes into it. And so to, I do agree that we we kind of do go through a second adolescence when we I don't want to say when we come out. I will say when we get to a point that we have the ability to live openly and yeah, live freely, yeah, for sure. whatever that looks like, because you could move somewhere where you don't know anybody. You don't ever have to actually come out, but you can still live freely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, again, our stories, our lives do not revolve around coming out. And I hate that this article is being presented in such a. Is unilateral a fair word to use? It, it's it's very one dimensional mm-hmm. what we're getting here. And it's so complex, like part of what makes our community so unique is that we have so many different stories. We all go through so many different things. Like I listen to podcasts. I listen to a trans podcast called Marsha's Plate out of Houston, Texas. Shout out to them. And it's three trans people 
Now, there's a lot of things that are similar in our stories, but they have had experiences that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Never even been close to the things that they've had to do to survive. Right. So imagine me getting on here and saying, well, we've all had our second adolescence and da, da, da. and it's like, OK, but you, you're not even <laughs> thinking about other people. And I guess maybe this is I guess because it's, it's concentrating on, quote unquote, gay dating. But it just takes the variance out of everything. Like we're all so different. We all have different stories. We all have different experiences. And, uh, you know, in numbers, of course, there's patterns. But this felt very one sided. Like if there was a line that was like and then some of us, you know, we stay in our small communities and we find a way to make it work we maybe we're blessed and there's another gay person that <laughs> breezes through and we're we're known as the gay couple in the town with the population of 300 or something like that you know what i mean but yeah like okay well we all do this pilgrimage where we go to a big city okay well i, I grew up in a big city so where do we go from here <laughs> you know what i mean and i don't know if i agree that saying that second adolescence is what makes gay dating quote unquote problematic because there's no way around it. Like when a part of you is stifled the way a majority of us have to stifle it, you have no choice but to go through a second adolescence. Hell, you might be on your third or fourth adolescence, depending on (laughs) what you got going on. Does that mean that dating for you or dating you will be difficult? Not necessarily because that that adolescence doesn't have to necessarily equate to relationships. It could be finding, just finding yourself as a person. What do you like? You know, like I feel like I'm on the brink of a a second or third or fourth, however many adolescences I've had just trying to figure out what is my purpose, you know, like that. And that doesn't have anything to do with dating. Does that mean I would I can't be a good boyfriend? Oh, God, almost. <laughs> you can't even get it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna get dragged by my friends for that. You need to be more open to love. Shut up. Leave me alone. <laughs> These men suck, <laughs> and not in a good way. No Hoover. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> The next point is, we could talk about this all day. Listen, we have unrealistic expectations. And let me tell you something. Yes, you got this one. Correct. Um, Gay men are notoriously picky. We know that to be true. We just if you have not come across a whole bunch of picky men, then you probably are a picky man, whether (laughs) you want to admit that or not. And that goes beyond just like the no fats, no fems. Like mm-hmm. I've seen some pickiness go <laughs> into the abyss and it's just like, <laughs> wow. But I mean, this can even go to, and I've talked about this before on the show, the pickiness of what kind of top that you want or bottom, I guess. But I more so see this from, uh, phallus takers i guess (laughs) where it's like my top gotta be he gotta be this tall he gotta his his basketball shorts gotta hang this way and he can't ever have sucked dick or touched the dick he can't even touch (laughs) his own dick and you just like and so you wonder why you don't have no tops 
to give you the, the the pounding that you want. But look at all these hoops that they have to jump through. So, yes, we know that gay men are picky. And I added the notorious part because it it it's extensive. Mm-hmm. It goes on to say we are men with egos and we strive to be the best at everything we do because it was something we learned as closeted children. Uh, you lost me. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't what? Again, this is a very 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 specific example. Well, I guess I think what he's what he's saying here is that a lot of us might be trying to overcompensate yes. to to show that we're not well bad, I guess. It gives me we were taught to overcompensate. And that I don't think is the case at all. Like, yes, I agree. We as boys usually are conditioned to be competitive because that's me and it's sports and is is, you know, it's Tim Allen home improvement grunting and scratching your balls <laughs> and how many sexual conquests can you get and all of that kind of stuff. But I don't think we're necessarily taught to overcompensate. I think because we're taught to be that way overcompensation is a coping mechanism when you can't live up to the high expectations you were raised to try to reach. If that makes sense. Cause I'm, let me make sure that I'm not like the author. I want to, <laughs> can you hear me now? Well, <laughs> well, I think there was, there was something in here that stuck out to me when he talks about um, how everyone is supposed to look like a model, have the Adonis body, all of that. I think that's true, but, and, you know, my degree is not in queer studies. I was a STEM major, so this is purely my own analysis. Um, I think this, I think this dates back to I think it really has roots in the AIDS crisis because at that point having a fit body or having a little more weight on you was a sign that you were healthy and that you didn't have the disease. And, you know, I've just, and I've read a few things about this and I think it, it has carried and kind of morphed into different things as we become a little bit more obsessed with social media. Those two things bastardized to a degree. I mean, I think it it's really fused with a bunch of other things that that kind of lend themselves more towards, well, I need to be seen with a man who looks like this, and I also need to look like this because that's the only way that I'm going to attract the kind of relationship that that I am seeing all of my friends have, not that I'm you know not the kind that I've seen our elders have because you know like we said there aren't a lot of those examples but we're all we're all still sort of figuring it out alongside each other i i I don't want to say together because i don't think we're doing it intentionally together but i i really think that that's where that comes from and it's really interesting to me because and i hope i'm not making too big of a leap here but I think that in a lot of our queer communities, we really do try to push each other to be a lot more open-minded. But there are just some things that 
no matter how hard <laughs> you try to explain, it's it's hard for a lot of us to let some of these things go. And I think the the body issues is probably really close to the top of the list. Yeah, I can see that because a lot of us don't grow out of that box that we like to put others in until we get older. Like how many examples do we see even on the timeline on Twitter where they're like, yeah, when I was younger, all I wanted was slim with abs and a fat ass and this, that, and the other. And then they get older and they're like, yeah, fuck all that shit. <laughs> like, are you sane? <laughs> Can you read the due date on your cell phone bill and not be asking me for, you know what I'm saying? Like the considerations change and it becomes less physical, even though I feel like that probably is partially at least due to necessity not so not so much actual growth and changing the changing of your mind it's out of necessity because you're not getting what you think you want so you mm. got to step back and really evaluate do do I even really want this is it even really important for me to have yeah. or are these other things important but i i would venture to say that there probably some truth in what you said about where this necessity for perfection comes from. But I would even venture to say that it's not just I have been conditioned to look for and expect perfection in the next one. And I want to exude perfection myself. It's more so from what I've seen anyway, not that that doesn't exist because it absolutely does. But I also see a lot of, I want perfect but i want to be i want to be accepted the way i am but i expect perfection mm -hmm. from my partner mm -hmm. and i wonder how much of that is due to us as gay men wanting a partner or expecting a partner's perfection to overcome our insecurities and you're putting that burden on them to say, okay, well, I don't have to be insecure about this, that, and the other because look at my man. My man is fine. I just lifted both my hands just now. <laughs> In the sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I want, I've wondered about that for a while. Like how, when we are imperfect, we know we're imperfect and we expect to be accepted exactly how we are. If my, if the right side of my belly looks like tiger stripes because of stretch marks, then you better accept it. You, on the other hand, better not have nan mark, nan stripe. You better wake up perfect. Like a lot of us be on some Noah shit from Noah's Ark was like, I just expect my man to wake up and roll over perfect. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here flawed as fuck. I'm over here looking like Quasimodo. But my man better be perfect. And guess what? If I'm seen with that perfect man, then people won't be looking at me and like, oh, what's up with him? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I wonder how much of our insecurities and other issues we try to put on our partner having to present in a certain way. Because we know nobody's perfect. So you're setting yourself up for failure, even expecting that to begin with, no matter how good he looks, no matter how good he smells, no matter how much money he makes, what kind of car he drives, how big his dick is, how deep his ass is, whatever you get into, whatever your vices are, how well he kissed the gooch, whatever the case may be, none of that 
is perfect and it and it, we just are not capable of that yeah i mean i think everything that you just said that describes so many couples like gay or otherwise whoops <laughs> that, <laughs> that it's just kind of like I, you know i don't i don't know how people come to the conclusion that this is that this is just us but i mean there are so many things there are so many other groups of people that this applies to yeah absolutely but i guess it's just like it's one of those things where it's like i wish that they would preface this by saying some of these are universal issues and i'm going to explain specifically how they affect the gay community instead of just saying well these are the gay issues (laughs) you know because a lot of these are not gay issues they're hell if we're gonna be honest a lot of these are just just men issues issues. (laughs) it's just the issues of, of being men and again how we're raised and conditioned so the next point says timing is everything. And, you know, I was going to read through this, but this is a very strange point because it, it has a very specific example about the perfect 10. And he just got out of a relationship and you expect this, that and the other, but he might need time. You know, it, this is a very strange point. What I will say is that I do agree that timing is very important as you said earlier in the conversation you can come across a guy and you've been let's say you've been out for 10 years but he just came out three months ago y'all are in very different places in your journey regardless of age Mm -hmm. and that timing for y'all more often than not is going to be off and it's not going to be right. It's not going to work. It's not going to fit because again, y'all are two ships sailing in the night. Y'all are on different trajectories. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I definitely agree that the timing makes a big difference and it can be an issue in dating. But again, I think that's more so when you're trying to retrofit a situation into what you want or you're trying to make a situation with someone who again is in a different place in their journey fit with yours it's like trying to fit a lego with the duplo they don't mesh they don't mesh <laughs> it's just not how it works <laughs> them continents don't meet no those are the ones those are the continents that are in africa <laughs> they don't <laughs> no. exist all right raven <laughs> Okay, next point. There isn't pressure to be coupled up. So I'm going to preface this point by saying this is definitely from a very, uh, I have absorbed a lot of heteronormativity (laughs) because this is, this is just one of the ones where the the premise, I just don't agree with that at all. At all. The premise basically is that. As men, we don't have a ticking biological clock, which I disagree with. So, you know, being single, it's being single isn't as frowned upon, which it must be two gay communities. because, (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because, again, I can get on my timeline right now. And if I dig deep enough, depending on what the topics are, I'll find some shaming for being single. 
Just like you find shaming for everything, being shaming for being too sexual, shaming for being a bottom, shaming for this, shaming for that. So, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, but it goes on to say the concept of monogamy isn't a given. A lot of our friends are single and it becomes almost more normal to be single in the gay world than in a healthy relationship. And what kind of people are you hanging out? I feel for this author. I feel like he don't have good friends. <laughs> you see, this is what happens when you don't have no friends. of color. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't have black friends and brown friends, because what are you talking about? I've never in all of my acquaintances and my friendships, even family members who are in the community, I've never sat around feeling like, this like it's more normal to be single than in a relationship because everybody is single it's just like yeah i don't know where he got that that's not it men are trash and we as a society men included are standing up and saying we're not putting up with the fuck shit <laughs> it i don't think it has anything to do with being single being seen as more normal than being in a healthy relationship no, I don't either. I think there's, I mean, obviously, I think there's pressure to be in a relationship, but I think it it really is more about there not being so many relationships in our community because of, you know, and I think the larger part of this conversation is that gay dating is hard, but it's not because of being gay is because dating is hard because men so are trash. I, <laughs> so I think, you know, he, he said something in here about, um, about the running joke that gay years are like dog years for relationships, which I think there's some truth to that. Mm -hmm. But that to me speaks more to the, the fact that there just aren't as many relationships. And I, I don't think that that's because there's no pressure to be in a relationship. I think it's just because of all of the factors that we've been picking apart this whole time. Like it is hard. It, it is hard, but there aren't, there doesn't seem to be a lack of relationships because it's hard it's, uh, or because there's no pressure. It's just because of other things. Low key. And I know a lot of people probably aren't ready for this conversation, but I'm going to say this anyway. And one day I'm going to come back to this conversation. But low key, when we're talking about this point and the pressure of being in relationships and this, that and the other, we can't ignore the fact that a lot of us see relationships as being only one way and we don't respect a lot of relationships that we see because we can't see ourselves in that type of relationship. Mm. But like I said, that's a, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Let's move on. We are afraid of commitment. Now this is a word. <laughs> I do agree with this, but again, as we've been saying, I don't think this is specifically a gay issue. I think this is just a man issue. I would even say a cis man issue because I'm curious and I wonder hmm. if trans men have the same conditioning 
as cis boys have into adulthood. Does that make That's sense? Question. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I would love for a trans man to kind of have that conversation with me because I, I just wonder at what point do you start to pick up the conditioning that we get as cis boys as a trans boy or as a trans man? Like, at what point did you start picking up that conditioning? Did you pick up that conditioning? You know, like, because you don't want to think that trans men on general or in general are fundamentally different from cis men because you know when you start getting into the specifics of transition and all that i just wonder because listen i'm not giving all men a trash okay (laughs) until proven otherwise and i've i've come across a few trans uh i mean sorry i've uh come across a few trash trans men so (laughs) It definitely is not a blanket. Oh, you know, they're trans or they're better, quote unquote, you know, they're more mature or anything like that. (laughs) So that makes me wonder even more like when does the conditioning start and when do y'all start getting what we get as cis men? Because some of y'all trans men be just as trash. (laughs) But anyway, this point, we are afraid of commitment. Getting married wasn't an option for our community until very recently. So commitment from a legal standpoint was actually far from a lot of our minds. This in some subconscious way made us less serious when it came when it comes to dating. The fact that we also can't stop looking for the next best thing doesn't help and only perpetuates the lack of commitment in the gay community. So I don't know if I really agree that not being able to get married legally has been a reason why we're we've become afraid of commitment because if you if you look like there's tons of commitment in our community like again it may not look the way that we expect it to look or the way that we've decided that it's the only way it can look But, you know, there are stories of gay couples that have been together for 20, 30 years. Like, it's it's not completely Mm -hmm. unheard of. It may not be as widespread. But again, like I said earlier, I I think that goes back more towards the AIDS crisis and how many we lost versus men not wanting to be in committed relationships. Now, we do mature slower and we are not conditioned to handle emotions. So it does take a lot of men a lot longer to get to that point where they want to Mm -hmm. be in a relationship. We've all experienced that. You know, we've all experienced that man in his 40s or in his 50s. That's like trying to pressure you into a relationship. And it's like we literally (laughs) just started talking like six minutes ago, (laughs) you know, but. I don't know if not being able to get married because even though we couldn't get married, that didn't stop men from making commitments to each other. Like we commitment ceremonies, even if even if there were no legal aspects to it at all, like that's that's not stopping anybody from committing to someone if they want to commit to someone like you don't need the legal. the, The legal part of it is not what makes the commitment. And the fact that 
there's anybody, any gays that think that, woo, you in for a storm, honey, because, <laughs> you know, but um, I don't know. That's just a strange point. I do think, though, that a lot of us are plagued with always expecting the grass to be greener with the next man. But again, I feel like that's more so due to our conditioning as men, because we're conditioned to have our our manhood and our worth tied to our sexual prowess. So it's like, yeah, you mm-hmm. don't want or maybe not even necessarily just sexual prowess. It could just be how many, for lack of a better there's term, a of, like, how many hoes do you got? Yeah. Do you have? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I do think that that's an issue that plagues our community. We're always looking out for the next best thing or fear of missing out. But I don't think marriage has anything to do with that. But I also think that there's a lot more different and deeper reasons that we fear commitment like this mention it didn't mention anything about trauma um fear of an early death from you know when hiv was not as treatable as it is now <laughs> um, you know the marriage aspect of it is interesting to me because i think for a lot of people who are around our age I've seen a lot of conversations where we're starting to really analyze marriage just as a concept mm-hmm. and and think about, well, your granddaddy had two families. So what does marriage really mean? <laughs> you know, that's that's like a, a joke. But I think a lot of people are, are looking back at previous generations and thinking about what marriage meant for them. It was still pretty much just a a sign of status. I mean, I I don't think a lot of people were really and truly getting married for love until like the past maybe forty years. So yeah. I think a lot of us are are really starting to look back at it, and I think this is you know like I said a thing in our generation. I think we're doing that with not just marriage, like we're doing that with work like you're we're seeing a lot of attention being paid to millennials and what we're deciding to do with our lives because i i think there is probably like a turning point where we we started to really analyze what did or didn't work because now we're all on the internet and we can really see a it just kind of itemizes everyone's history and we can it makes it a lot easier to to figure out what at least what we perceive did or didn't work so i think that's that's something that we've we started to look at with marriage yep but at the end of the day i i don't know maybe someone knows more about this and can explain to me but from what's being presented here and just my own experiences and my own formed opinion, I don't see how not being able to get married has stunted our desire for commitment or has made us afraid of commitment. Yeah. I think that's probably something that you would have to, you would have to have been there (laughs) to, to know what it was like before. 
Okay, I'm going to be honest before we move on. Uh, what this gives me is the... I thought that our struggle was done when we achieved gay marriage. Gay. That's what this <laughs> gives me. Because you know how well, they talk about how, you know, it's like, oh, you know, y'all stop fighting for LGBT rights because we got gay marriage. But then again, it's like there's only one demographic that that really applies to on 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 one hand i can see the point that he's making and when i said i think you have to be there i'm i'm really just saying because i don't know how widely held this belief is but but it would it follows logically to me to say if you know we couldn't get married then people would take being in a relationship a lot less seriously because because marriage has been such an indicator of success and and building a family has been an identifier of how much you were able to provide as a man so i can i see what he's saying i just am saying i don't i don't know if that's true or not yeah, like I, I get the point that's he's attempting to make. I just, I'll leave it at that. It was an attempt. An attempt was made. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave. That's why I say, you know, if someone else knows more or they have different viewpoints and they can explain how this works, okay, I'm all for it. Let me hear it. But <laughs> this especially because it jumps from marriage to then, you know, the grass is green on the other side. And it's like, okay, well, which is it? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. are we afraid <laughs> of commitment because we couldn't get married or are we afraid of commitment or, or are we afraid of commitment because we're always worried about what's on the other side or is it both? <laughs> I mean, I guess if it's presented in an article like this, I guess it's supposed to be both. I don't know. Uh, the next point says jealousy plagues our community. Uh, the only thing I pulled out of this that I felt was relevant to talk about was when he said we have a hard time trusting that we are good enough. I do think that there's truth in that. But saying jealousy in the community is a problem in gay dating. Like jealousy is a universal trait. That is like literally a worldwide thing. <laughs> right like quote unquote gay jealousy i don't think and i haven't seen it be any different than any other <laughs> jealousy <laughs> so we'll just leave that there that was the last point so there were a lot of final points in the last 800 paragraphs of the article because <laughs> <laughs> you know sis started going off at the end and i was like you probably could have put some of this in the actual article but anyway some of the final points were that we have to remain optimistic if we really do want to find someone. We need to stop perpetuating the idea that all the good ones are either taken straight or live far away or aren't true tops. I added that last one because mm. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't see that. <laughs> the language we use when talking about dating needs to be positive and a beat. We have to stop confusing proper courting with endless casual sex. Okay. 
We have to keep working on ourselves, stay vulnerable, and allow our hearts to stay open even after we've experienced hurt and pain. Easier said than done, but I don't disagree. (laughs) We need to stop looking past the amazing men that are right in front of our faces and start understanding that the sex part of a relationship will evolve. Now that one, I don't necessarily disagree. I also feel like the personal experience and the hurt just jumped out (laughs) because it's like, (laughs) stop looking over the amazing men in front of you. And it's like, uh, right. Who did you write this for? What is Brad's Twitter name? (laughs) No, he wrote this for himself. He's the one, he's the amazing man. That's that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Oh, I get what you're saying. So um, Bradley, please step to the front. And give him the quote unquote closure that he needs so he <laughs> stop writing articles like this. Um gay dating is really hard, but nothing worth having comes easy. So lead with love and positivity and more than anything, just be open to what could be. That last one felt like that was ripped from a Yonla or something. But I mean, you know, go off. Whatever, whatever. Uh my final points. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of white privilege and bitterness that was seeping out in this article. And that's unfortunate. Life is hard, which in turn makes dating hard. Like that's just a fact of life. And like we talked about already throughout the article in the conversation, I wonder how much of the issue in in the gay community has to do with that substantial dark period when HIV and AIDS was literally killing off the community. I wonder how much of that trauma has seeped into our dating lives. You factor that with the way that cis boys into men are conditioned. Like there's a lot of factors that lead into why dating is hard, (laughs) but I don't know how many of them are specifically gay reasons. I feel like if more than anything, it's men reasons, it's man reasons versus actual gay reasons. But Jeff, what are your final points and thoughts on this amazing? (laughs) My takeaway is that dating is hard because y'all be on that phone. That's what I would just, Fair. I would sum it up that way. Fair. I'm upgraded. The 2019 version of you be on them apps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't take the trash out because you be on them app, which is mm-hmm. true. <laughs> I know that was somebody's life. My bad. I didn't mean to uh, <laughs> pull your trauma out. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's going to end it. <laughs> we have done enough (laughs) i hope that you guys enjoyed this and if you have any points or anything that you want to discuss feel free to reach out on the social of the meads and let me know we can talk about it in the meantime in between time jeff taylor (laughs) you are a friend and a confidant no (laughs) thank you for being on the show (laughs) thank you so much for having me i have fun so shout out to yo tell people where they can find you and where they can hear your amazing music 
My username across all social media is Jeffus, J-E-F-F-U-H-Z. And if you're looking for my music, you can search Jeff Taylor Retrograde. It is available wherever you stream music. Absolutely. Please check that out. Support, support, support. We need it. And this is why y'all um, y'all can't find no boyfriends or stuff because y'all don't support and y'all be on them apps. No. <laughs> All right, you guys, that's going to wrap this show up. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again for listening. Remember, you can chime in at any time. If you have thoughts on what you've heard, go ahead and sound off. Use the hashtag GaySidePod when you're live tweeting or posting about the show so that everyone can see that. You can also send in letters, compliments, show topic ideas, stories, or whatever you may wish. I like to call it the Gay Side Mail, all of which can be sent to GaySideStories at gmail.com. Please go ahead and do that. Also, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and if you really love the show and want to show some support, leave a review, five stars as well. And make sure you're sharing this show with other people. Word of mouth is still the best way for podcasts like this one to reach more ears and get a bigger audience. So go ahead and tell someone that you love the podcast, friend, coworker, family, whatever the case may be. That is how we get more people to listen to these shows. And you know what? That's it. Love yourselves as always. Make sure you're protecting your walls or they will what crumble. And I will be back next week.